0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing good today. Hey, uh, real quick, want to mention, oftentimes when I open a message, I talk about being in a certain spot in the Bible, and today we are going to be uh, in the Bible. So go ahead and turn there, and uh, we'll get to that here momentarily in our series, How to Study the Bible. So you'll hear why in a moment here a little more. I want to pray, and then I want to offer a gift to some individuals that maybe want a gift, and you don't even have to quote a scripture to get it. So anyways, uh, Jesus, thank you today for your goodness. We do pray in the midst of a series called How to Study the Bible in the midst of, God, I hope a stirring passion in us to read and to go deeper and to understand more and more of of what you've given us as this incredible gift, God. We just thank you for your work, even as we navigate just some practicals, God, some nuts and bolts today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, I I, I want to encourage you to be note takers, and, and maybe you're online, you can do that at home, but if, if you're in person, um, I know you could take notes on a phone, or maybe you have a tablet or an iPad or something, um, but we've gotten a gift today for you um, because I encourage you to be a note taker, and if you would like a journal book free of charge today, just put your hand in the air, and again, I would encourage you to do that. Um, And I only say that because I think there's something important about writing some things down. I'm going to be referring to some places um, in scripture online, just different tools you can have, but it will help you remember that. So just put your hands up high. We'll make sure you get one. We do have some hands up in the balcony. There's hopefully somebody coming from there. Um, If you're in the balcony, you don't get anything. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. You do. You do. I'm just joking. Anyway, there'll be somebody up there momentarily. Oh, they're there. Sorry. Okay. There we go. So... This is, is something amazing that I really believe that God has given us. Now, for some that aren't super familiar with church world and Bible, it's easy to sort of go, this just kind of appeared, it's a religious book, God just dropped it from heaven, or um, there's people sometimes, and I don't mean this to be insulting, but sometimes in ignorance, oh, it's just some book somebody wrote a long time ago that's spiritual or whatever. Um, and last year, just as a reminder, last year we did a series um, that gave you an overview of the entire Bible, where it came from, the pieces of it. You know, we talk about the first five books. We talk about historical, poetic, prophetic gospels, uh, Pauline letters, all that stuff. And let me encourage you to go back if you didn't listen to that and maybe check it out. It's, It's on our podcast from a year ago right now. So you can check that out. But this really is something incredible that God has given us, and, and I want to start by saying this. Um, it, it really takes uh, you sticking with it uh, on, on this whole journey, and so let me just say that. Uh, if, if you've ever been to the gym, the gym isn't about this. It's getting to be February, March here coming up, and I really need to do something because I got to look good in a bikini this summer. I don't mean me. I just mean like somebody in general. Um <laughs> But, but then what happens is summer's over, and then you just go back to whatever in September. That's not how the gym is supposed to work. Most of us know that. The general idea, and, and I don't say this like, oh, I go to the gym, but I do go to the gym consistently. But the general idea is because I've said I want to be as healthy as I can. I want to be able to chase my grandkids around someday, and I want to be able to come back tomorrow. And and so it takes diligence over a long haul in order to be healthy rather than I just want to do this because of vanity and summer and whatever else. In the same way with the Bible, it's not about committing to reading it for a period of time so that you can feel good about what you know. Or as Paul would say, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The idea that we can gain knowledge, but it just makes us prideful. So when we talk about this idea of learning and studying scripture, there's something important about it. And so the first thing I want to say is this, you've got to keep at it. You've got to commit to the process of understanding over the long haul. And my hope and my prayer as you do that is that, as I've mentioned many, many, many times before, this idea of a hundred thousand piece puzzle over a lifetime becomes a beautiful picture of God's passion for you, of his design for redemption through Jesus, because constantly things are pointing to Jesus and the cross and what he's done for us. Already, and that what happens in our lives is not only do we gain better understanding, but it transforms how we live out our lives every day. So you've got to keep at it. You've got to commit to it, not just for a window of time, but go and look, this work, this idea of understanding really is a lifetime's work. And there's not anybody in the history of the world that's ever understood all of it entirely front to back, all the nuance of it. So you've got to keep at it for it to become the picture that it's meant to be. Number two, I encourage you to take it in every way that you can. And I really do mean that. I think my wife and I do a great job, and she more than I, but she loves to listen to podcasts. There's some podcasts we'll refer to coming up in the, in the coming weeks. There's some books that we'll reference and some tools that we'll uh, encourage you to, to get. Um, but take it in any way you can. Obviously, including Sundays. I mean, you're here, that's great. You're online, that's great. But for some of you in person, in the seat backs in front of you is a trifold. And yes, we put that out there for life groups, so you can have great discussion in your groups. But even if you're not in a group, grab a trifold, take notes on it if you want to. And one of the habits I got into years ago is that I would take notes on a Sunday or in youth ministry on a Wednesday, and I would take some time somewhere during the week to dive into the notes I took down, to look things up in scripture because I really wanted to go deeper than simply getting whatever I got on a Sunday. So I want to encourage you to take it in wherever you can in those ways. I mentioned trifolds. We have um, a, a podcast that Evan does a great job putting out every week. It's called Let's Read the Bible. And if you haven't got into it yet, let me encourage you to do that. And, and what he does is he takes the plan that we're doing on the YouVersion app and he grabs a chunk of scripture from that week and helps you understand it. So another way to go deeper. And again, there's various ways, but take it in, in all the different ways that you're able to. And then the third thing is this, I know life is busy. And I realize for some of you, the only alone time you get is when you're in the bathroom. And even then there's like little fingers under the door. You're like, please. Right? I get that it's a challenge with schedules or little kids or sports stuff, or just the busyness and responsibility of life. But let me just say this. I want to challenge every one of us make it a priority to carve out some time. And maybe it's, you know, 30 minutes, a couple times a week, 20 minutes, maybe it's more than that, but carve out some time to not just read it, to check the box. So the reading plan says you did it, but to really take it a few steps deeper. And that's where in this series, we'll talk about how, and, 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 you know, how to go deeper in that. So, um, now let me jump into the book. Most of us are aware, but if you're not, the Bible was not originally written in English. The Bible, going back to the Old Testament, was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. There's also the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. That's called the Septuagint. Not that you necessarily have to know that, but but the Bible wasn't originally written in English. The reason I bring this up is because I want to challenge you to pick a translation, and you can write that down. The very first thing you need to do that I think would be helpful is to pick a translation. And you go, well, wait a minute, is isn't English? That's a translation, right? From Hebrew to English. But here's the deal. Over the span of the last hundred, you know, hundreds of years, about like 700 years, um, the Bible was written in English way back when, but it was Old English. Then the Bible was written in King James English. So a little while later, that came along. There are still people today that go, King James only. That's the only translation you can read. It's one of the more original English languages. What's tough about King James, if you've ever read it though, is if you struggle with Shakespeare, you're probably going to struggle with reading the King James version of the Bible. And I don't say that's an insult to anybody, but it's an older translation that's much more difficult to understand in modern day English. So when I say pick a translation, some of you know this, but some of you don't. There's like the new international version. There's the um, new King James version. There's the New Living. There's the Amplified. There's all kinds of options. Now, there's a, a resource I want to I tell you about, and it's called BibleProject.com. A couple of guys from Multnomah University down in Oregon at some point a little while back went, how do we help our English world understand the Bible better than maybe they ever have? Or maybe that same burden I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that biblical illiteracy is a problem. So they went about creating these tools that help us understand the Bible and they put out a video that I wanna show you. It's just a minute long and it's about Bible translation. So set aside for a second notes and whatever else and watch this because I think it might help you with Bible translations.
1: There are many translations of the Bible, so which one should you read? In short, read as many as you can because no one does everything because they're designed for different purposes and using many translations will give you a well-rounded understanding. Every translation is balancing two goals. First is faithfulness to the wording of the original language, and the second is readability in normal English. Place these on a spectrum and you get word-for-word translations up here and thought-for-thought translations down here. Word-for-word translations try to imitate the original language and so require you, the reader, to do more interpretive work yourself. Thought-for-thought translations do more interpretive work for you by paraphrasing what they think the text means, and most translations are somewhere in the middle. Now, keep in mind that no Bible translation can perfectly represent what's in the original language, because no two languages are identical. So pay attention to when translations differ, and try to read as many Bible translations as you can.
0: So there again, that comes from the bioproject.com. There's all kinds of options, articles, things written about translation, about bio, other topics like crazy in there. Um, it's a great resource, but maybe that helps you. The first thing I would say is this, pick a translation. Another thing I love is when you talk about translation, if you, you have the UVersion app, which is the one I use, the one we put out there for the reading plan this year. Um, if you go to the version app and you open it up and you are reading a, a certain translation that you've picked... What's cool is you can highlight a verse by just clicking on it. And, and then at the bottom, it gives you options. You could share it online or whatever, but it's compare. And what I love about that feature, and it's super easy to use, is when you go to compare, and so you see it on the screen there, it's circled in red. When you go to compare, it will show you different translations of just that verse or that paragraph, depending on what you've highlighted, and it will immediately help you. So you don't need to have a New American Standard Bible in front of you and an NIV and a New Living and a message. You could just have this, and it will help you because it's a great tool. So picking a translation is, is a great first step. The second video, or excuse me, the second thing I want to mention is this. I, I strongly, strongly, strongly encourage every single person in the room, if you don't have one yet, to get a study Bible. I would encourage you, and and again, there's all kinds of them. There's different topics, spirit-filled life Bible, men's Bibles, women's Bibles, teen Bibles, student Bibles, um, uh, adventure Bibles for kids. There's all kinds of options out there. And of course, it can get pretty confusing and marketing all this stuff about like, what do I do? I would say in general, one of the best options for adults would be the Life Application Study Bible. There's a picture of it on the screen here. Again, this, okay, this is black, it's leather, you can get hardcover, softcover, you can get pink ones, brown ones, blue ones, whatever you want. There's all kinds of options, but Life Application Study Bible. And what I'm going to do today, and in our our series, we'll talk some more about other tools and and, and ways to study and acronyms and stuff. But today, I want to dive into why I think a study Bible is super important and how it can probably help you um, go a little bit deeper than maybe you've ever been. Let me start by saying this. I'm holding up here the Life Application Study Bible. I would say that if I was holding this right here, all that's in here, if I was holding this in my hand 100 years ago, or 300 years ago, what I would be holding is, is walls full of books and volumes because there's a lot packed into here. There's all kinds of, of ways to understand deeper original languages and commentaries and character profiles and maps and all kinds of stuff that, that like I said, back in the day would have taken volumes of books. On top of, a lot of Bibles nowadays will have QR codes connected to them that you can read the Bible, but you can also download an app or it will take you to a certain website that will give you all kinds of things to click on to go even further kind of into the rabbit hole of understanding more and more. And so let me encourage you, Life Application Study Bible probably will be a great way if you don't have one yet to jump into the journey. So when you open it up, there's all kinds of, of, of basics in the front from table of contents to a list of the books of the Bible, which can be helpful if you didn't know that there's different books within this is 66 books, Genesis to Revelation. Some of you've memorized them, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all the way through. There's different books. There's Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, and then there's New Testament, Matthew through Revelation. So there's all kinds of things to understand about that. Like I said, we did that series last year to help you understand that. As you continue in the beginning of the Bible, before you get to Genesis 1 verse 1, there's some explanations that I think are worth understanding. A couple of those would include an explanation of like why the life application study Bible. And here's just the opening kind of few sentences just to help you understand the basics of it. Have you ever opened your Bible and asked the following questions? How does this, or excuse me, what does this passage really mean? How does it apply to my life? Why does some of the Bible seem irrelevant? What do these ancient cultures have to do with today? I love God. Why can't I understand what he's saying to me through his word? What's going on in the lives of the people in the Bible? And again, when you go back, one of the things that can be challenging to understand is context. Obviously, you and I are existing right now in the year 2024, And living today is a whole different culture, not not to mention, you know, we're in America and we're in the Pacific Northwest. Our culture is very different than other places all over the world historically, including going back to Bible times from the time the Israelites got out of Egypt to the time that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote their gospels about the life of Jesus. It was an entirely different culture that you and I don't understand. So, to, to, to take to getting into a study Bible and getting some of the notes that would help you will give you a better understanding of that culture and how that culture does translate or certain things about that culture translate to today. And of course, and I do love this a lot as well, as you turn the page, again, I'm just in the beginning, but as you turn the page, I love how in this Bible, for instance, Life Application Study Bible, at the bottom is a uh, chronology of biblical events paired with world events. I'm one of those nerds that when I go on vacation, we visit museums and I love getting stuck in like Egypt and the Ptolemies and all these different histories of of, Greek culture. Um, I love that kind of stuff. But what's amazing is you can read about what was going on in scripture and then look at what's going on in world history. And of course, oftentimes those things dovetail into each other because at times they're definitely connected, but just stuff to understand that takes you a little bit deeper Um, as you continue on, like I said, you get to some of the ways that the, some of the tools are used. How many of you guys have heard of cross referencing? Cross referencing has nothing to do with the cross of Jesus in particular. So you can misunderstand that. But the idea of cross referencing is, is like this. You can read, let's say Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. And he's writing about legalism and freedom in Christ and all that stuff. And what will happen when you're reading a certain verse, and we're going to get into this some more in the coming weeks, a certain verse will have a small letter above a word. Anybody ever seen that before when you're reading? What you do with that is you go to the middle margin of the Bible and and match the letter with the letter in the margin. And what that will do is give you another verse to look up. When you look it up, you'll notice that, hey, they're using that same idea or that same phrase, or that's a direct quote in Galatians that takes me all the way back to Samuel or Psalms or whatever. So cross-referencing is helping you understand how things come together. Now it can be overwhelming when I say it this way, but one of the most amazing things about cross-referencing is this. There's about 25,000 cross-references from Genesis to Revelation. And again, as you study it, you begin to see this beautiful picture of what God has put together um, in the text of Scripture as you compare one to another cross-referencing. Let me jump into um, Malachi. Anybody know what comes after Malachi in the Bible? Matthew. But here's what you need to know, and I'm going to be brief about this. You go from Malachi to Matthew in a matter of a page, right? But does anybody know how much time was actually in between the last verse of Malachi and the first verse of Matthew? 400 years. And you're like, well, why is that skipped? What I love about a good study Bible, and this one does that, is it will help you understand it's what we sort of call the intertestamental period. From Old Testament to New or Old Covenant to New, there's 400 years of history. During that time, simple recap would be that when you read the Old Testament, The nation of Israel was rebuked for rebellion over and over and over. God said, at some point, you're not going to exist as a nation if you keep doing what you're doing. And they kept doing what they were doing and disobeying God. And finally, they were taken into exile. Anybody know by who? The Babylonian Empire. At two different times, Babylonian and Assyrian empires. During the intertestamental period, those two empires kind of fade into nothingness, but there's a giant empire that rises up after that. Anybody know what it's called? The Roman Empire. The Roman empire comes along and they begin to take over all kinds of lands in the Middle East and into Europe. And at one point they swallow up the nation of Israel. So when you get to Matthew verse chapter one, verse one, what you need to understand is they're already, the nation of Israel is not their own nation. They've been taken over by the Roman empire. Therefore, when you read the Christmas story and you read about, about, you know, the killing of babies and the jealousy of a king, because there's a new king and all this stuff, you have names like Pilate, and Herod, and all these characters that play out throughout the Gospels from Jesus' birth all the way to Jesus' crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection. Part of understanding that is getting that in between there, there was some history that means the Roman Empire had risen to power. On top of it, and this is in here, there was what's called the Maccabean Revolt. Not that you care a ton about this, but there was a group of people that wanted to overthrow the the powers that be. And so the Maccabees, basically a family rose up and said, we're going to try to overthrow the government and we want Israel to be its own nation, have its freedoms and the Greek culture's taking over. And we don't like that Hellenistic stuff. So let's get rid of it. And they tried to do what they did. It all kind of came to nothing, but there's stuff that happened in between that we don't know if you're just looking at the Bible. And then you get to Matthew. So Let me take a few moments and say this. In the study Bible, it talks about the intertestamental period, and then you open up to the book of Matthew. Before you get to Matthew 1 verse 1, there's all kinds of things that you can learn. And and there's a page right here. It says Matthew at the top. I realize the letters are way too small to read, but let me just go over what's in the left-hand side there in the red. It says vital statistics, purpose, to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed and promised eternal King. And the reason that's important is because Matthew was a disciple. If you remember this, his original name was Levi, but Matthew cared deeply about his own people because he was a tax collector and he, he cared about the Jews. And so when he was writing, he was writing in particular to help his Jewish family, the people he loved, understand that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Therefore, Matthew, more than Mark, Luke, and John, quotes verses from the Old Testament because the Jews would have known the Old Testament, and Matthew's trying to prove that Jesus is that Messiah that was being written about in the texts they were familiar with. Luke, that is not his audience. John, that is not his audience. Matthew's audience was uniquely a Jewish audience, so he writes differently. So you can learn that as you read that page. As you continue down, it talks about when it was written, somewhere between AD 60 and 65. Talks about the setting, uh, key people within it. And then as you continue on in the introduction of Matthew, it gives you a basic blueprint. And the basic blueprint of all the gospels is A, the birth and and, and, uh, preparation of Jesus for ministry. And then B, the middle portion, which would be the message and ministry of Jesus. So his teaching, the miracles, the religious leaders getting upset. And then, of course, the end of every one of the Gospels leads us to Jesus' uh, death, burial, and then resurrection. And it gives you an explanation in more detail of the outline. It gives you some of the mega themes. And then you get into it. And you read Matthew chapter 1. And if you've ever read Matthew chapter 1, it's a really daunting chapter to read. Because there's a genealogy. Both Luke and Matthew put a genealogy. One genealogy follows Joseph's family line. The other genealogy follows Mary's family line. You read through the genealogy, and then you get into what we would basically call the Christmas story. And it opens up with, uh, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And so we, one of the things we believe in theology matters, but we believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And that's a big deal. And what's cool is you can look at Matthew 118, which is where that's found. I just read it. And you can go down to the notes at the bottom of the page and, and see 118 and read, why was the virgin birth so important to the Christian faith and still is? Jesus Christ, God's son, had to be free from the sinful nature passed on from all other human beings from Adam to now. Because Jesus was born of a woman, uh, he was a human being. But as the son of God, so virgin, uh, as the son of God, Jesus was born without any trace of human sin. Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. And there's a couple more paragraphs that help us understand that. There's notes that will help you. So what I encourage people to do is read a chapter of the Bible at a time and then go back and read the notes that pertain to certain verses. And what you'll get, I put this in my notes here, so I'm going to read this for you. But, but what you'll get is, for instance, uh, you, you'll get context, you'll get some history, you'll get some application. Um, sometimes what you'll find is when it talks about like Joseph in particular, there's personality profile. So on the very next page, from Matthew one eighteen, it gives you Joseph, and there's a whole personality profile, so all that you see on on that page gives you kind of the heart behind who Joseph is, and and, and why we kind of get a window into his character, and and, and what he's about as as the the stepson, or sorry, the stepdad of Jesus. Um, I know I'm going through a lot here. As you continue through, I'm going to go to the end. At the very end of your Bible, um, you get an index, in this study Bible. And I love that because what you can do is you can look up, it's alphabetical. You can look up a word and it will show you different spots in the Bible that that word appears. Sometimes it's a subject. Sometimes it's a name in this index because it's alphabetical. It starts with a person named Aaron. Some of you know who that is. Some of you don't, but Aaron was Moses' brother and, and He was a priest of the Lord. And so it gives you some references for where Aaron is found in the scriptures. And it also will take you to his personality profile all the way back on page 141. So you can read about that in the index. And there's all kinds of topics. As you continue through beyond the index, in this study Bible is what's called a dictionary concordance. Now, there's great Bible dictionaries, and I'm going to give you some of those, as well as concordances, and I'm going to give you some of those. At the end of a study Bible, there's. S- some great, uh, excuse me, next page. Uh, there, there, there's some things you can look up that will give you the definition of certain words and then show you where it appears in the Bible. And again, super helpful. It's similar to an index, but it gives you even more information. Is it an airplane? Is it I I don't know. Is it the Lord? I don't know what that is. All right, we'll just keep going. Oh, oh God. Um, anyway, the dictionary concordance is super helpful. Like I said, in the, in the messages coming up, we'll talk some more about using a dictionary or using a concordance. But something to understand is this, when we talk about languages and Hebrew and Greek and all that stuff, because languages differ, it can be really hard, as the video kind of talked about, to get everything all in one translation, One of the things that's difficult, if you've ever read John chapter 21, it's the very last chapter of the gospel of John, and and Jesus had disciples, they went to the cross, all the disciples ran away and and were afraid for their lives, and they're kind of ashamed, so they're out fishing, feeling dejected, and Jesus shows up. How many of you guys remember this story? When he shows up, they end up going to shore, and they're amazed, like, this is Jesus, and this is amazing. Jesus pulls Peter aside, and the, the conversation kind of goes like this, Peter, do you love me? And again, Peter feels super ashamed. He's denied Jesus. He ran away from the cross. Do you love me? Peter's like, well, yeah, yeah I love you. And Jesus goes, but do you love me? Well, yeah, I love you. And Jesus is the third, but do you love me? And you and I read that and go, I don't understand. Why does he have to keep asking the question? Like, do you love, love me? Do you love, do you really love me? And the reason is because in English, the word love doesn't translate very well into the biblical languages. And what Jesus does is uses a couple of different words for what love means to help Peter understand the grace being extended to him because he feels like an utter failure. But again, why do I bring that up? Because when you get into a dictionary as well as a concordance, it will help you understand some of those nuances. So in the back of this Bible, the Life Application Study Bible is uh, the dictionary concordance. It's not exhaustive. I will give you a couple of references to those that you can get, which I would encourage you to do, and we'll get to those here in the coming weeks. Finally, at the very, 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 very end of your Bible, most of you probably know this, but is what? Maps. Now, I'm a nerd, I'm a weirdo. I like to go onto my like Google Earth app and zoom into places and see what's going on in these different areas. And I love maps. I'm kind of a geek like that. But I love how at the end of your Bible are maps, most of them. And in this study Bible, the maps are put chronologically, so it'll go all the way back to Genesis and give you Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And as you turn the page, it'll give you the time of David, and it'll give you all this stuff about the prophetic all this stuff. And then as you get to the New Testament, it'll talk about, you know, Bethlehem and different places. Jesus traveled. It'll talk about Paul and his three different missionary journeys and give you a map of where he went on each journey. And then, you know, again, there's all kinds of, uh, it gives you a, a zoom into Jerusalem, specifically in the time of Jesus and, and how it was set up all kinds of incredible stuff in the maps. And you might go, well, why do maps matter? And first of all, they matter because it helps you understand the geographical context. Where is this stuff happening? on top of then the cultural context connected to geography. How many of you guys know living in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago is a lot different than living in Marysville in 2024, right? And so I know on one hand that's like kind of silly, but the truth is it's a whole different context. Anybody ever taken a Holy Land tour? There's a few people in our church that have, and that's on my bucket list at some point to do, but I say that because y- you can go back and understand that culture during that time and that's important, you can look at maps and get it. The other part, and I know that this sounds a little insensitive to say, but the other part is this. I love these maps, and I love how as archaeology continues to do what archaeology does throughout the world, as they unearth places in what we would call sort of the holy land, what they do is go, hey, this kind of pottery was the same kind of stuff that was described in Ezekiel, or the same stuff it looks like they used during Samuel's time, or this is kind of the stuff that, that would have been around in Jesus' era, and, and all kinds of stuff th- that, that they unearth. They go, Hey, that's a city, or there's an inscription there that confirms that that king that's written in the Bible was alive during this time because we found these inscriptions on these ancient artifacts. And over and over, as time goes on, it seems to confirm the stuff that you and I read about and go, Wow that's amazing. I've been to, like I said, the British Museum, different museums, and it's so cool to read some of that and go, that parallels with what they're talking about in the Bible. And finally this, and this is what I meant by insensitive a moment ago. The other part of, I think what's important about something as simple as maps is that there are groups out there that have written certain spiritual books and I would all pick on one in particular, but, but Mormons believe that Jesus came to North America and spent time among the tribes. And there are certain cities written about by name and description, that the more they try to unearth stuff along the east coast of America from that sort of period of time, more and more we're like, you gotta be kidding me. And I'm just gonna say that bluntly, but it's sad because they're deceiving people into believing things that are simply not true or accurate. And yet we can look at these maps and we can do our best to look at antiquity and history and go, wow, more and more as time goes on, they're showing us these places do exist. These places were there. This stuff is accurate. Rather than just going, some creative person just wrote some spiritual thing to deceive the masses a long, long time ago. Let me end with this. You had no idea when you were in third and fourth and fifth grade, or you were in kindergarten, you had no idea when you learned how to read that all of a sudden you, bear to, you, you bore a certain responsibility. And let me say it this way, and this is what I was praying about with this message, and just to end it this way. Paul at one point is challenging Timothy. And in, if you're taking notes, write this down. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. And I'm going to use the Amplified Bible, which I haven't used a lot in here, but the Amplified Bible will give you what the verse says, and sometimes in parentheses, sometimes in brackets, it will expound on the words. But here's something I want you to understand, not something written from Paul to Timothy, but something written from Paul, and I believe from God, to you and me. It says this, study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God, approved, tested by trial, a workman or woman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately handling or dividing uh, the word of truth, and in brackets, they're rightly handling and skillfully teaching. The reason I say what I said, and I'm gonna to try to explain a little better, is this. When you became literate, I believe God put the onus on you to study the Bible. And I didn't understand in fourth and fifth and sixth grade or whatever age I was, and you didn't understand that either. But in societies historically, because they've always been there and they still exist today, societies that were mostly illiterate. They memorized hymns, and they memorized creeds, and that's part of church history and amazing. But the problem back then is that they had to rely on people that were literate to tell them what the Bible said. You and I don't live there. Therefore, if in this room you are literate, you're able to read and write, you bear the responsibility to do what Paul said to Timothy. Study to show yourself approved. It goes right back to what I already said about Acts 17, 11, the Bereans, the Thessalonians, being of more noble character. And that's my prayer is that God sparks a hunger in us to bear the responsibility, not out of fear and dread or panic, but out of, you know what? That's something I need to own because I am literate and I can be grateful for it, but it's a responsibility too, amen. Jesus today. I pray for you to continue, God, to help us to grow deeper, that we look at how to study the Bible. And this is a simple example of a certain type of Bible, a study Bible, but God, I pray for a hunger to be sparked in every heart. God, I pray for the burden, the weight that we would carry, that being literate isn't just being able to read People magazine or to read an article online somewhere about any given thing, but that, God, we bear the responsibility to look at, to read, to study the Bible, God, to understand it better than we maybe ever have, Lord, that, that, that Lord, Spirit leaders can can mislead or misteach, and I would never want to, but God, it's not just up to me to teach it correctly. It's up to all of us to go, what does it say? And I pray for your spirit to challenge every one of us here, every one of us online, God, to take on the burden, God, of studying scripture deeper than we ever have. Spark that hunger in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast.
1: To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.